The Bible reading. Oh, I'm Derek. Uh, the Bible reading today comes from uh, Ruth, chapter two. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor." Naomi said to her, "Go ahead, my daughter." So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. "The Lord be with you." "The Lord bless you," they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, "Who does that young woman belong to?" The overseer replied. She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, "Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind your, the harvesters." She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, "My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me." Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down, with her face to the ground. She asked him, "Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner?" Boaz replied, "I've been." I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord," she said. "You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servants." Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At meal time, Boaz said to her, "Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar." When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, "Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her." From the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her. Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. She said, "The Lord bless him." Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, "He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead." She added, "That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers." Then Ruth the Moabite said, "He even said to me, 'Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain.'" Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, "It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, 
because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. very much. Good morning, everybody. On this beautiful, warm, for fellowship after evening, morning, get it right. And speaking of that, uh, that it's very warm, if you would like a cold drink of water, don't all rush for this, but if you would like a cold drink, there's one available, actually, from our wonderful welcoming team. Thanks, that Douglas. So there's a glass out there, a jug, cold water, so please feel free to hop up and have a drink if you need to. So we continue our series on Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, and uh, let's just pray before we get into this word. Father, we thank you once again for this time that we're able to share together around your word, being able to just come and set aside time to worship you, <clears throat> to be able to share with each other. But most importantly, Lord, to be with you and to hear what you're saying to us from your word. And we pray that you will open our ears and our hearts, keep us from being distracted from the heat or anything else, may we just focus in on you. And may we listen and then apply to our hearts what you're saying to us. <clears throat> Father, as we read this inspired scripture that you've given to us, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, <clears throat> excuse me, last week I suggested um, that the book, of Ruth, the book of Ruth was like the eye of a storm. And um, I'll get them to put that storm up and you can see what I'm talking about there. Wouldn't it be nice if that was off Queensland without perhaps the coolness of it, not, without all the wind, you know what I mean? And, Maybe that might happen. But the book of Ruth was like the eye of a storm because it was a place of calm surrounded by turbulence and chaos. As we know, the book of Ruth was set in the days of the judges <clears throat> when everyone did as they saw fit. And uh, it was a time certainly characterised in Israel's history of reoccurring disobedience. This was what the pattern was for, in that time of the judges. They would disobey, they would rebel against God, the Israelites, and then God would come along and he would chastise them. And then they would repent. He would chastise them by bringing in a foreign force to invade them. And they would be oppressed by that force. That was his chastisement. And then they would cry out unto God and they'd repent. And then God would deliver them with a judge, with a deliverer. And that was kind of that reoccurring pattern. And then they would, they'd be delivered. And when things were going smooth and nice for them again, they would rebel again. And that whole pattern continued right through. Uh, and that was the sort of setting that we have for the book of Ruth. So, in the, so meanwhile, in the, in the middle of all this upheaval that's going on in Israel, God is doing a very special, he's doing a very gracious and a very tender work in a particular little family who have gone back to Bethlehem, which uh, Bethlehem, um, amazingly, seems, it seems anyway that it's been spared by the wars and all the strife that's going on during this period of the Judges. And so in the midst of all this, again, we have this delightful story called Ruth, the book of Ruth. And as I said last week, it's been described by one writer as the most beautiful short story ever written. So that's saying something, isn't it? There you go. You can do what you like with that. But it is a beautiful short story. And it's not hard to believe that statement as we will continue to see as we go through this, this book together. 
So it's the story of a, a young woman, a widow, from a, an idolatrous and, and pagan background land called Moab, and she chose, through all the circumstances that we won't go through now, but she chose to leave those unfam that, that, that familiar surroundings. She chose to leave her home, her homeland, her people, and to come with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to serve her God, the God of Israel, whom she really didn't really know. But she chose to leave her surroundings to come and serve God, the God of Israel, and to take care of her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, who also was a widow. <clears throat> And so as we come to this um, second chapter, uh, we're given a closer look at who this person of Ruth really is. We're introduced to another character. There's only three characters in this, in this Bible that we main characters anyway. Uh, and we're given a look at the second character as well. But here's Ruth, this person called Ruth. And as we're given a closer look at this person called Ruth, we are therefore also exposed then to what happens in the life of a person who chooses to follow and serve the living God, as Ruth did. So they're the things that we pick up from this amazing book as well. <clears throat> and as I said last week, Ruth would have had no idea, any idea whatsoever of what God was doing with her life, what God was doing in her life. No idea. And the interesting thing is, if, I, if we're honest, you and I probably most times don't know either. Sometimes we know, what God's, we know that God is doing something, but we're quite, not quite sure what he's doing in our lives. But it's wonderful to know that we know that God is good and whatever he does in our lives is for the good, correct? Even though we might not understand all the circumstances. But Ruth, she simply trusted God. She trusted with a childlike trust, the same God that her mother-in-law trusted even as feeble as Naomi's faith may have been, Ruth still trusted this God. And God, with his guiding eye upon Ruth, carried out his providential and his divine plan for her life. And so we see this unfolding in this amazing, beautiful short story. And it seems to me that God was unfolding his plan, this divine plan for Ruth's life. He did this in a couple of ways, three ways actually. And it seems to be that he did this firstly by preparing the way for her. Preparing the way for her. And again, significant uh, to the whole story is this verse in chapter 1 and verse 22, which I think it speaks again of how God was preparing Ruth for the way ahead. So just to read that again, Luke chapter, um, uh, Ruth chapter 1 verse 22 says, So Naomi returned from Moab. Accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And so we have this time when they were in Moab. Three men in their lives had died. They're all widows. Um, things looked hopeless, helpless. It was an empty, drab, dark time for them. Hopeless. And then they heard that God was doing something. God was providing something back in Bethlehem. So they needed to go back and that's what they did. So God was preparing the way for Ruth. Um, we also read um, from verses 1 down to 3. Uh, let me just read verse 3 though. So she's, they're back in Bethlehem uh, and we've already heard the story read but verse 3 says this. So she went out, so Ruth went out, um, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Then it says, as it turned out, 
She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And another version says, she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. I want to unpack that little part of it a bit more. But firstly, I want us to discover here, firstly, that Naomi has a relative on her husband's side, on her late husband's side, called Boaz. So this is the second character being introduced to the story. So, and, and this family connection becomes very significant in the story, again, as we see later on. But clearly, the fact that his name is mentioned here in verse 3 indicates its importance, you know, and that God was indeed preparing the way for Ruth, preparing the way ahead for her. Boaz is an interesting and a worthy character to explore. You could do a whole series on Boaz, I'm sure. Character study on Boaz would be a very interesting uh, series. Boaz, he's described as a man of standing, and it can also mean a man of valour. Um, he may have even been a, a warrior um, and, and given the troubled times of Israel that's, that could well have been the case but certainly he was a man of honour he was a man of integrity and he was held in great respect by all the people Boaz now his name, his name is interesting his name means strength and interestingly um, one of the two bronze pillars uh, in Solomon's temple he named it Boaz. There was two main, I think it was in the portico, I think it is, of the temple. Bronze, bronze uh, uh, what do you call them? Bronze pillars. One was one given another name, but the other name was given uh, as Boaz, which is interesting, isn't it? Have a look. 1 Kings 7.21 gives that uh, description. And uh, so Boaz, <clears throat> probably because in it was strength. In it was a good place to have strength in God's temple. And uh, Boaz fitted that description. But yes, so he's all those things. But in, on top of all that, and I think more importantly, he was a very gracious and godly man. He was a kind of an Old Testament Christ-type figure, particularly in his role as a, as a kingsman redeemer, which we'll look at more so next week. So verse 2 of chapter 2. Ruth decides that it's time to go out and do something. No good sitting at home, waiting and hoping that something will drop in her lap. She knew she had to work to earn a living, to earn food for her mother-in-law as well. No working back then, no pay, nothing, no food, and you die. So she knew it was time to get up and get out and do some work so that Naomi and her could both eat. So what Ruth intended to do with the blessing of her mother-in-law, was in accordance with the law of Moses. And that comes out very clearly in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 9 and 10, when uh, Moses through the, said this in the law, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them. For the poor and for the alien, I am the Lord your God, says. So back then, God was making a welfare system, if you like, where um, there was a certain thing they could do. Yes, go and harvest, but don't go back over it with a fine-tooth comb and pick up everything else. Leave the rest of it so that others, the poor and those who don't have fields, can go and glean up for themselves. What a terrific system. And that's what Ruth was doing. So off she goes again. She had the blessing of her mother-in-law. And of course, you wouldn't believe it. 
out of the many fields that she could have gone to, guess which field Ruth happened, by sheer accident, uh, happened to find herself in? Guess which one? Well, we know, don't we? Verse 3 again. As it turned out, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, I think, from the writer of, he, of the writer of this book. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, who was, as we know, Naomi's late husband. So, I don't know, you think about it, isn't it amazing how God is involved in the many, as it turned out, events in our lives? Have you noticed that? And I wonder here this morning, how many of you could give this kind of by sheer accident type of account of an event that took place in your life one that you hadn't planned for but now you now but now you see no i didn't plan for it but god sure did i didn't plan for it but god did things are not things that you and i could not have planned for anyway god planned to do i wonder how many stories we could hear of that situation of people sharing that today you see, when you put your trust, your childlike trust, and folks, I just want to say that no matter how long you've walked the Christian journey, no, longer how, no, longer how, no, no matter how long you've been a, a, a mature Christian, never lose that childlike faith, that childlike trust, that when God says something to you, you believe it. You hang on to it. Why? Because the Father has said it to you. Just like many of you, hopefully, when you were young, your dad said something to you and you believed it as a child. Don't lose that childlike faith. God honours that, loves that. Mature as a Christian, yes, but don't lose that childlike faith and trust. You see, when you put your, when you put your trust in him as Naomi, as, as Ruth did, you're putting your trust in the one who prepares the way for you. That's what he does with your life. He prepares the way ahead for you. Ruth did not plan to work in the field belonging to Boaz, a relative of Naomi. She wouldn't have planned that, couldn't have, but, but uh, God did. You know, there's a favourite verse, I've got it in my office, I've written it out, it sits there, it's on the hutch of my desk and I have it right in front of me and I need verses of scripture, I hope you might have those as well. Favourite verses where God's spoken to you, promises that he's given to you, you need to read them and reaffirm your faith in them and, and be re-energised and, and build up again in your faith as you read those promises that God gives you. Well, this is one that God gave me a long time ago and I need a constant reminder. It comes from Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8. It's where God, through Moses, uh, says to Joshua, who's going to be Moses' successor, um, these magnificent words, awesome words. And they speak exactly what we're saying right now. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And I believe that's a verse that will speak to people in this, in this place today. Because I want to tell you, you're a child of God here this morning. And as we face the year of 2018, that this same promise that was given to, uh, to Joshua back then, this same promise back then is so applicable to us today. This same promise from the living God is for you also today. So hang on to it. Trust him for it and bless him for it. You can trust your life 
to promises like this from the same God that Ruth trusted, along with Boaz, as we'll see. But you see, not only does God prepare the way for you, as he did for Ruth, he prepares you for the way. He prepares you for the way. Look at verses 4 to 13. Look how God, in these verses, prepares Ruth. Prepares the way for her, but look how he prepares Ruth. Firstly, we notice that God makes her noticeable. See, along comes Boaz, and he's been into town, and he comes to his field, and being the kind of man that he is, the character of this man shines out, being the kind of guy that he is, he comes to his field and, and he greets his workers by saying, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. And because this guy is loved and held in such respect by his workers, they turn around and say, and the Lord bless you. Hey, do you have a boss that says that to you? Does he come to work at you, at the employer and uh, employee? Does he say, hey, hey, and the Lord bless you? Yeah. Maybe not. But if you're a boss here today, maybe it's something that you could do. What would you do if you walked in amongst your, your, your staff and said, and the Lord bless you? You might have some looking at themselves and saying, what's wrong with him or her? But isn't that good to do, don't you think? I think if you're an employer, bless your employees. Pray for them. You may already be doing that. Boaz sure did. So he said that to his workers, probably knew them all by name. <clears throat> but then something catches his eye, or someone. You see, he takes a second look at one of his workers, and this time it's a slightly longer look than he would normally look. Because he then comes over to his foreman, and he says, whose young woman is that? Ruth is probably in her mid-twenties. Boaz probably in his forties. And he comes and he wants to know who she is. Where did she come from? Does she belong to anyone? And the scripture gives no kind of indication of physical description as to what Ruth may have looked like. Unlike other parts of the scripture, by the way, who do at times give us the physical description of what the women mainly look like as for example the book of Esther we knew that she was a beautiful woman the Bible says that and in Job we know that his his daughters were, were beautiful women as well we know that so we know that the scriptures at times do choose to describe the physical attractiveness of women in the scripture Sarah again another one Abraham's wife in Genesis 12 but we don't have that here in Ruth but obviously there's obviously something about Ruth that catches the eye of Boaz. What could that be? I asked the 8.30 service, I'm going to ask you guys. Guys, be honest now. Do you remember when you first saw the woman of your dreams? Some of you are going, oh, no, don't want to go down there, Pastor, thanks very much. The girls are looking at you saying, come on, don't you remember me? I hope she's your wife now the woman of your dreams, or that she soon will be if you're in a serious relationship. Do you remember the first time you saw her? No? I'm not sure about that. This is, this, is, this is a bit of a trouble here. Well, I can. 
I can remember the first time I saw the woman of my dreams, who is my wife, by the way. It was at a youth camp. It's amazing how romances start at youth camps. It was at a youth camp. God made Rosemary noticeable to me. How did that happen? Very short story. She came and sat on my knee. What was all that about? It was a game that the youth played back then. Some of you people know that game because the 8.30 service came up and said to Rose, we used to play that game too. Some of you younger people, you don't know what the game is. Don't worry about it, don't play it. (laughs) But I liked it. I liked that game. And there's more to it, but we're not going to go down there. But God made my wife noticeable to me as he made wives, to you guys, noticeable to you. I'm not, telling, I'm not telling anything new, that God uses physical attractiveness initially, anyway, in the first instance, as a means of drawing the attention of the opposite sex to each other. Obviously he has to do that, because the human population would be in big trouble if that never happened, correct? Yeah. However, and there is a however to this, yes, physical attractiveness, as lovely as that is, there needs to be more than just a physical attraction for a relationship, an authentic relationship to form between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And it's seen here, we see these in in these verses right here. You see, the more that Boaz heard about Ruth, he speaks to her, but before that, the more he heard about her from his foreman, the more attracted he was to her. Listen and look at these words. Uh, Verses 6 and 7. The overseer replied, She is the Moabite. So who is this woman? Does she belong to anybody is the question. He answers, The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and she's remained here from morning till now. In other words, she's worked hard, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so he's getting a picture in his mind as to who this woman is. And he starts to see, Boaz starts to see, this is a woman of true character. She's got some qualities that are very attractive here. She's prepared to leave her own land. She's prepared to leave her own people, her her, her place of comfort, if you like, you want to call it, well, it wasn't really comfortable back then. But she was prepared to leave her familiar surroundings and come to a strange land with strange people, accompanied with an old woman, her mother-in-law, to take care of her. So all this is coming out and he's hearing about this and he's seeing this is a courageous woman. This woman called Ruth, she's courageous, this Moabite. She's not afraid of hard work. She's not bitter. She's not filled with self-pity or anger or resentment over what happened to her in Moab and over what might possibly happen to her in Bethlehem. There's no guarantee she was going to pick up any work or make any money or, or, or pick up any food to live. And, and Boaz starts to see something unfolding about the qualities of this young woman called Ruth. And so there are many other qualities about Ruth that became evident and attractive to Boaz, as he then discovers firsthand when he goes and talks with her himself, and that conversation's in verses 8 to 13, which we've read. 
And it's not hard to see why Boaz grew in his attraction for Ruth. You know, for she displayed an inner beauty that shone out from her. And it was noticeable and it was impressive. But more importantly than that, Ruth was impressive to God. You know, and that's the thing, isn't it? I, I think we can be so inclined at times to want to impress somebody. There's something in our human nature, maybe it's a, a bit of a flaw there. I'm sure it is. Well, it would be. That we go out of our way sometime to impress this person. I want you to notice me. I want to be impressed by you. I want you to, 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 to notice and, and be impressed by me. And some people go out of their way to be impressive to someone else. But listen, the person you need to be impressive with is the person who made you, the person who loved you, the person who gave himself for you, the person who wants a relationship with you and is not prepared to share you with anyone else, basically. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> We need to impress him. That's the, the, that's the quality. That's the inner quality that, that I believe that Boaz was seeing here in Ruth. Ruth was impressive to God in whom she had taken refuge. And the apostle Peter, he speaks about this, this beauty, this inner beauty in, one of, in, in his epistle. He says this, 1 Peter 3, 3 to 5. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery and, and, and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So important that we balance ourselves out by reading and knowing and obeying God's word. Don't try to impress the neighbours. Impress God first. And then he might see to it that you're impressing other people. But that's a byproduct of you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you, including impressing other people. But don't go out to impress them. Impress God first with that inequality. That's true beauty. Now, look, I'm not suggesting by any means that God is against any, you know, in every form of of, um, of jewellery or cosmetics or makeup or nice, clo nice clothing. I'm not saying that God is against any of that at all. God's not asking women, he's not asking men either, to look drab and to neglect their personal appearance. That's not what the scripture's teaching. He does, however, want us to understand what true beauty is and how it's obtained and what it's worth in God's sight. And it's a whole lot more than just skin deep which fades. Have you noticed how our outward appearance is fading? Some of you are going, yes. We do fade, unfortunately, on the outside. But the beauty which is of great worth in God's sight is the unfading. Yes, the external fades. The inner doesn't. It's unfading. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. What does that mean? It means... It's a growing, it means it's a developing, growing relationship with Jesus. Walk with him, spend time with him, 
know him, love him, enjoy him, then he will feed that inner beauty. And you will be a beautiful person because you've been with Jesus. His beauty will rub off on you, will fill you. That's impressive to God. Aim to be beautiful to Jesus. Meet with him, spend time with him, grow and mature and develop in him. By spending time in the word, prayer, meet with Jesus. Be in that relationship. Let me ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus going? Room for improvement? I believe Ruth displayed that kind of beauty, that inner beauty which Boaz was attracted to. Listen to what he says to her. Listen to the blessing that he bestows upon her life when he talks with her, listens to her story, and he says this to her. Boaz replied, verse 11, 12, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. Look what he says in verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Hey, where are you taking refuge today? Where's your security? See, for Ruth, it was under the wings of, of, of Almighty God, the God of Israel. What a beautiful description of trust of our dependency, of our resting in him, of our relationship with the Lord, of true security. The psalmist mentions this a number of times in the psalms. Let me give you one example of how it's mentioned here in Psalm 91 and verse 4. The psalmist says this, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. What a magnificent story of, of how God invites us to take refuge under the shadow of his wings. Do you remember how Jesus lamented over the fact that his people weren't doing that? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you'd known, and, and so on and so forth, he says in Matthew chapter 23. We need to take Refuge, folks, under the shadow of his wings. That's true security. You see, not only does God prepare the way for you, he also prepares you for the way in himself. Thirdly, <clears throat> this chapter also shows that God provides for you along the way. Verses 14 to 23. Do you remember... When Naomi and Ruth were in desperate times back in Moab. And then Naomi heard in verse 6 of chapter 1 that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. So God provides for us along the way. God was providing food for his people. They were now experiencing back in Bethlehem where I believe God wanted them to be. I'm not sure if he wanted to be in Moab, even though God works things out in an incredible way. But now they're back where he's blessing in Bethlehem. And they're experiencing the abundance of that blessing in terms of food. Food was being provided for his people. Ruth was given bread. 
and roasted grain, all that she could eat. And then being the kind of person that she was, she took some back then to her mother-in-law, along with approximately, as it says, an ephah, which is about 22 litres. A fair bit, isn't it? She carried 22 litres of grain back to the, from the fields that she'd gleaned in, from Boaz's field back to her mother-in-law. God was providing for her along the way. And the wonderful thing is, the reassuring thing is, that we need to be reassured with, is that God knows that his people have physical needs every day. God's aware of that. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. This day our daily bread. And that's why Jesus also taught his people by saying to them in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 32, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? You know, or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things because they don't know God. But Jesus says, but you, he says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows what you need before you know what you need. We can really trust him, really trust him and rest and not fret and worry about our lives. I need to hear this myself. Thank you, Lord. Someone said that when God gives the vision, he also gives the provision. And it's true. I guess a situation that comes to mind for me was going way back some years ago. And I know there's been other things that have happened since, but towards the end of my full-time Bible college training, things in our, in our family were getting really tight. We had three children. We believed that God wanted them in a private school, a Christian school back then. And so we were prepared to do the hard yards and pay for them being in Christian schools. Rosemary was working, uh, not earning a huge wage. I wasn't working at all. I was full-time. And things toward the end of my last year, we started to get pretty tight. And I remember one day, God sent this dear brother. He was an agent of grace. And he sent him to me. And he offered me some help. And I initially resisted because I was spiritual. No, just proud and stupid. And this dear brother didn't walk away and saying, well, that's how you feel. He didn't. He persisted with me. He looked at me and he says, David. He said, uh, well, I'm not telling you what he said, but the result was that he very effectively corrected my attitude. Which is what we need to do with each other sometimes, lovingly. And I'm glad he did. He was one of God's provision of grace. He was God's provision of grace for me, for us as a family, in more ways than one. A growing experience. But he also was able to provide physically for us, financially for us. God does stuff like that. I want to read this to you and I'll put it up on the screen so you can read it too. Close with this. When you place yourselves in the hands of a God, in the hands of God, and you take refuge under the wings, under his wings, as Ruth did, you'll discover, you will discover in 2018, even though life will bring, not if, it'll be when, <laughs> when those stormy trials come your way. And you've placed yourself under the shadow of his wings. You've taken refuge in him. You will discover that God will prepare the way for you. He will prepare you for the way. And he will provide for you along the way. That's what he does. 
He's faithful. And he's faithful to you individually. Because he loves you passionately. He wants you to trust him. Commit your life to him. Get fair income with him, to use that Australian term. Be real with him. And stop mucking around with God. Get real with God. And let him get real with you as we go into this new year together. He will prepare the way for you. He will prepare you for the way. And he will provide for you along the way. Let's pray. Loving Father, we give thanks to you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for this precious time of celebration, of worship, of singing your praises and reading your word and hearing your word. And thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the one who takes your tr- the God, the, the God's truth. You're the one that takes information and turns it into revelation as we believe on you and trust you and put ourselves into your hands and take refuge in you as Ruth did. And we thank you that we can be absolutely assured that you're the God who will prepare the way ahead for us and that you'll prepare us for the way ahead and along the way you'll provide as well. Help us to trust you with that, Lord, and to prove you over and over that we might grow and mature and grow up as people of God in our faith, in our love, in our relationship with you and with each other. And Father, we pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Bless your church.